Amen. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the uh, book of Luke, chapter 24. We've been working our way all the way up, of course, to the resurrection. And uh, I thought, well, you know, let's just uh, could kind of a postscript on, on that this morning. We'd like to begin reading in uh, verse number 13 of Luke 24. And I'd like to talk to you about a few events that, um, that took place, the first one on the day of resurrection and the second one uh, 40 days after. In verse 13 it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem. If you look on a map, you'll find it in uh, the westerly direction. And they talked together of all those things which had happened. So it was while they were conversing and reasoning that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. In some way, the Lord caused the, these people not to be able to recognize him. Uh, he wanted to engage them in conversation. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? I find it interesting that uh, these people who were so sad uh, were joined by the Lord. And uh, he came here to uh, brighten their day. Then one of those uh, was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in this in these days and he said to them what things to draw them out and they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him but we were hoping if you like to underline things in the Bible I think that's a little note you could underline right there we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body and they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but uh, they did not see him. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you remember who those two were that went to the tomb. Uh, they were running, of course, Peter and John, and John won because we believe he had younger legs. And uh, when you have younger legs, you usually win. They raced to the tomb. This is what he's referring to. And in verse 25, and then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ or the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And this was the message of Jesus that they really missed. That first of all, he had to suffer. And then secondly, he was going into his glory. Suffering first, glory second. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I'm sure that was a pretty interesting and awesome lesson that Jesus taught these two men on the road to Emmaus. 
And they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? Last week we um, focused, of course, on the resurrection. Uh, there's plenty of evidence, uh, pretty strong evidence, that Jesus did indeed was resurrected from the grave. The first, of course, was the empty tomb. There was no way humanly possible that anybody could have broken into that tomb to steal that body. Those Roman guards were vowed uh, to keep that tomb secure at the price of their life. And, you know, that would keep you awake. Uh, it would cause sleep to flee from you. The empty tomb. And then the orderly departure that, uh, that they made. Uh, those grave clothes were lying there, and it was just like that body evaporated right up through those grave clothes. And there was that napkin, remember that? that was folded. I don't think any grave robbers were going to say, hey, let's stop a minute, let me fold this napkin and set it over here in a place by itself. And then there were all the appearances that Jesus made after the resurrection. And, the, and this is good because uh, there were uh, about 11 of them. In the next 40 days, Jesus appeared uh, to his disciples to say, hey, listen, I'm alive. Here, look. Feel my hands. Look at me. Uh, I have flesh and bones, but uh, it's a different kind. It's a glorified kind of body. And Paul said in Philippians that that's the kind of body you and I are going to have, uh, like the body of Christ in our glorified state. And then that, that's kind of the direct evidence. And then there's indirect evidence. And that's the transformation of the disciples. They were scared, they were scattered, they were shattered, their dreams were shattered. But it's interesting, as you follow the story over in the book of Acts, by the time you get to Acts 4 and 5, uh, these people have been transformed. In fact, they're standing in front of the Sanhedrin, the very council that condemned Jesus to death, and they are declaring the resurrection. They are not hiding behind doors. And then there was the birth of the church. And it's incredible growth in the beginning. Well, 1 Corinthians 15 says that on one occasion, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. And so there were a lot of people that saw Jesus after the resurrection, and this was for a purpose. Uh, he was trying to show them, hey, listen, this is really real. I'm really alive, and, uh, and I want to bolster your faith because uh, some of you thought that this couldn't happen. And so here in the afternoon of the resurrection. There are these two people walking to Emmaus. Uh, and Jesus joins them. They're sad. Uh, they're sad about the events. They're confused. A couple ladies came back and men came back from the tomb and said, listen, Jesus' body is, uh, is not there. You know, the Easter season is very profound. You know that? I found that to be true this year. Uh, I was reminded this year that back in the 50s in our country, 
Uh, Debbie Caldwell had something. If you put something on Facebook, it never dies. I just want you to know that. She had something on Facebook, and she said when she was growing up uh, here in Pittsburgh that in her neighborhood, the parents would not allow the kids to go out to play on Good Friday between 12 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The stores would close at that time. Uh, the employers would send their people home on Good Friday, at least by noon. And uh, there was a, a special reverence for that day. You know, Good Friday has an impact around the world. It really does. And it's good for us to do that because, you know, we race through life and sometimes we're so flippant about this whole magnanimous story of what God did for man. It's good for us to have uh, some moments of solemnity, uh, introspection, and think about that. I remember this Good Friday, I was out of sorts all day long. And about 3 o'clock, I felt this enormous sadness come over me. And I thought, boy, this is really strange for me to feel like this. But it was really good for me to feel like that. Uh, it was good for me to be once again in an even more dramatic way to realize what Jesus did for me upon the cross. Well, these um, disciples uh, of, of our Lord were walking along the road and Jesus appeared to them. Their hope had faded. Uh, Proverbs 13, 12 is a good verse. Let's read this together. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when dreams come true, there is life and joy. Now, these people had great hopes. Uh, I'm sure that they were so upset because of what happened to Jesus, because he was so good. And how could this happen to a good person? Uh, he was so good and he had so much promise. And they thought, of course, that he was going to deliver the nation of Israel from the bondage of Rome. And so Jesus began to unfold to them the scriptures. Um, look in verse number 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And I'm sure that, first of all, he was developing the theme of the suffering Messiah. There are two themes of Old Testament prophecy in the Old Testament. The one is the suffering servant, the other is the conquering king. And if you were living in uh, Jerusalem at that time, which one would you be studying? Would you want someone to say, hey, listen, I've come to suffer with you? Uh, you wouldn't want anything like that. You would want someone to come and say, hey, listen, now this is the hour. Let's take up our sword. Peter already had that on his mind, didn't he? Well, uh, he explained these prophets, uh, these prophecies, the old sacrificial system, that God would accept a sacrifice in place of a person. God loved humanity so much that he said, if you just find a lamb, a bull, a goat, a grain offering, that'll work. I just want you to realize that... Uh, Sin demands a penalty, and that penalty has to be paid, and uh, that's the way we do it in the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, 7, this is one of my favorite passages. Let's read this together, okay? I show this unfailing love to many thousands 
by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Even so, I do not leave sin unpunished, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, don't let the last part of that throw you right there. I think what that means is this, is that when somebody is raised in a dysfunctional home, isn't it so easy for them to be dysfunctional? I remember years ago, we had this one young family that came to our church, and, and the boy was always telling me, he got married, and they were a nice family, and he said, you know, I, rose, I, I was raised in a family, my father and my mother were alcoholics, I'll never become an alcoholic. Guess what happened to him? He became an alcoholic. Uh, and and uh, now that doesn't always happen, but I think that's what that last part's talking about right there. Uh, and uh, there are people living proof in our church that have, that have grown up in, in environments that were less than good. And they said, listen, somebody has to stop this thing. Somebody has to cut the cord of dysfunction and abuse and all of these things. But here we find that Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. And so the Lord is explaining himself. Remember this, the glory of the Lord is his character. It's his character. So he's explaining himself and he's saying, listen, I love to forgive people. Every kind of sin and rebellion. But I will not leave the guilty go unpunished. And so this Old Testament sacrificial system was a testament to that. Somebody had to pay a penalty. And the Lord in his grace said, listen, you don't have to pay. Get yourself an animal. And you lay your hands upon that animal and I will account that animal as payment for your sin. And so uh, Jesus, I'm sure, was delineating that thought. Isaiah 50, 6 and 7. Let's read this together. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. And these are prophecies of our, our Lord and uh, Jesus set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem and nothing would deter him because that was the very reason that he came. Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you see the Lord explaining these things to these disciples as they walked along the way? Well, I'm sure he did. And he expounded to them, and uh, he came near to them. And I think the lesson behind all of that is this, that Christ will guide those who sincerely endeavor to know the truth. These two people walking along the road to Emmaus were looking for truth. Uh, their hope had been uh, extinguished to a degree. And the Lord came to them. And, you know, it's amazing. Whenever you seek the truth, you'll find it. You know that? 
That's what Jeremiah said. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And I hope that to you, especially this year, will become a seeker after God. Uh, because God loves to come near those who are seeking him. And he loves to add to your, uh, to your reservoir of spirituality to raise you to another level. John 8.32 says this. Let's read it. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Become a growing Christian. And you know, the more the Lord puts into your life and the more you use about what God puts into your life, the more freer you will be. Uh, the people who are bound are those who don't know the truth and don't live for the Lord. But Jesus said, listen, when you know the truth, you'll be free. He stays for fellowship with them. And the result uh, was uh, pretty great. Uh, their heart burned within them, they said, when he opened to them the word of God. Verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I was reading the book of Jeremiah not long ago and in Jeremiah 20 verse 9 he says this, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. You know, Whenever Jesus comes to us, uh, he wants you and me to have the same sensation that these disciples had. When the, when the Lord's word comes into our life, that our hearts began to burn and become on fire for Christ. And I'm here to tell you today that that's something for you today and that's something for you tomorrow and that's something for you the rest of your life. Uh, he came and that was their testimony. That was their report. Whenever he talked to us from the scriptures, our heart burned within us. We had every now and then I, I, I get this little experience when I'm reading the Bible. I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is so good. If only everybody could enjoy this like I'm enjoying it now. How many have had that experience before? Raise your hand. Yes. If only, I could, if only others could have this experience that, that, that I'm having right now with the Bible. What a wonderful thing it would be. Well, that was uh, in the afternoon of resurrection. Uh, Jesus was appearing throughout those 40 days. But then finally came to, uh, to the end. Uh, when he was going to ascend into heaven. Look at verse number 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms concerning me. And here at the end of his ministry on earth, those 40 days, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. It's interesting. Jesus kept pointing back. Listen, this is the scriptures. You... I want you to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And then he said this, And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is the Great Commission right here. The Lord said to his disciples, Now listen, all of this has happened and now you're supposed to take it out and preach it. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name among all nations beginning right here in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses 
of these things. And then he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Stay in Jerusalem for power. Uh, these people had the message. Jesus said, I'm sending you out with a message, but listen, there's one last thing you need. And that's the power of God. And that's going to come upon you in about 10 days at Pentecost. So you kind of stay here in Jerusalem and you wait to be endued with power, clothed. That word means clothed. Clothed with power from on high. Have you ever tried to do the Lord's work and didn't have the power to do it? Of course, we've all, we've all done that, right? And then have you ever tried to do the Lord's work and you had the power to do it? There's a big difference. And so he said, I want you to stay and wait on this power. Um, in Acts, it's stated this way, Acts 1.8. Let's look at it. Let's read this together. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have the power you need to do the work of God. And the filling of the Holy Spirit simply means the control of the Holy Spirit. You know, in order for the Holy Spirit to control you, you can't be in control. In order for the Holy Spirit to fill you, you can't be full. You have to be empty. And so these disciples of our Lord were waiting in Jerusalem and they were, what were they doing when they were waiting? They were praying, right? For a period of 10 days. Now you can, you can uh, a, lot of, a lot of things can happen in a 10 day prayer meeting, I'm sure. And they were looking in their heart and they were wondering, listen, what's the Lord going to do for us? And then all of a sudden the day of Pentecost came and the Bible says this, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, or in other words, what that meant is they were all controlled by the Holy Spirit. They, had, they were controlled. Can you imagine what could happen in our life, in your life, in my life, in our church, if we were all, A-L-L, -L, controlled by the Holy Spirit? Well, he said, listen, you've got to wait for that. You can't go out and try to do this, this uh, evangelization in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, this is where I want you to go. I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, that's the surrounding areas, then go up into Samaria. And then I want you to take on the world. And it's amazing how our missionaries today are doing just that. They're going all over the place and God's given them the power to do that. And we need the power right here in Pittsburgh, don't we? To do the work of God. And then he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands. Now, I don't know exactly what position this was, but remember the hands? He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And I'm sure that they had that imprint on their mind as they went out to witness. I have done this for you. The hands of crucifixion are the hands of blessing. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And the Acts account, turn over there please to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The Acts account gives us just a little more information. 
We just read verse 8 off the screen. Verse 9 says, chapter 1, And when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who were they? Angels, of course. Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come, so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. They saw him there. Don't stand here gazing up anymore into heaven. He's going to come again in like manner. A cloud received him out of their sight. And this is precisely what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse number 29. We have time for that. Turn back, please, to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus here is speaking. And he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days... Now, I know that people throughout the years have believed that they are living in the tribulation period. Many years ago, we took trips to Haiti. And I remember one time we were meeting with the Haitian pastors in the Holiday Inn in Port-au-Prince. And uh, they were asking us, are we living in the tribulation? Because I guess if you lived in Haiti at that time or now, you would honestly, it wouldn't be hard for you to believe that you were living in the tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds. That's exactly what the angel said. They will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so Jesus said, listen, to his disciples, first of all, there's the suffering, and then there's the glory. And uh, I'm sure that if you were to go to Israel this morning and ask the Orthodox Jews uh, what they wanted, they would say, listen, we want the Messiah to come in great glory. But the Bible says in Zechariah and here in Matthew that they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Uh, what a heartbreak this is going to be for the nation of Israel to realize that uh, they didn't recognize as a whole their Messiah coming the first time. What a heartbreak. Well, Jesus is coming back again one of these days. He said that in John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and do what? receive you to where I am to be with me. Well, uh, the message that he had when he came to these disciples, remember, was peace be with you. After the resurrection, he came into their group and he said on each occasion, peace be with you, peace be with you. You know, it's a wonderful thing to have the peace of God, isn't it? Uh, Romans 5.1, therefore being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To have peace with God. No longer, as Ken mentioned earlier, no longer an enemy, but a person that has peace with God. And this is what peace with God means. This is what it means right here. That means that you can bow your head at night and go to bed and know, listen, everything is okay with me and God. Boy, what a way to sleep, amen? 
peace with God. And then in Philippians 4, 6, there is the peace of God. First of all, peace with God, which uh, then enables us to have the peace of God. And the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Uh, peace, Jesus said, listen, peace be with you. He opened their understanding to the scriptures and then he sent them out. Now this is so interesting right here and this is the, this is the conclusion. This is interesting. Jesus gives them the peace of God and then he opens their understanding to the scriptures. And you know what happens when our understanding of the scriptures becomes for real? God places a burning in our heart. Not to forcibly live the Christian life, but to automatically live the Christian life. When the fire of God's word is burning in our heart, we don't have to be pushed to serve the Lord or tugged to serve the Lord. We are impelled to serve the Lord. We have no other option. When the word of God burns in our heart, we don't have to have somebody hit us on the head and say, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. We go out into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. That's what we do. And so when we have peace with God and the peace of God and our understanding is open to the scriptures, then this automatically just opens up for us. And God creates in us a well of spiritual life that, throws, that flows out not only to our home, but to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that, that means for you guys who travel and you're sitting down here with us in the front. For you guys who travel, that means when you go to Nevada or when you go to Texas or wherever you go, God is with you. And you're his mouthpiece. And he's setting up these appointments for you. And Chuck, you're in the same situation. Yeah. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, when things fit together, God puts the plan together. He does. He puts the plan together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And as we uh, wait upon the Lord right now, I'd like to ask you, if you're here today and you've never truly invited Christ into your life, I implore you to do that today. Embrace him as your savior. Stop trusting in your good works or any attempt on your part to be declared righteous before God because that won't happen. Uh, there is only one work that God recognizes for your salvation and that is the work of Jesus upon the cross. That's it. Maybe you're here today and you've Maybe you've uh, gotten away from the Lord, your, your mind is on other things, uh, but somehow through this Easter season, God's got your attention. Uh, I want to encourage you right now, just in the next couple minutes, right there in your seat, uh, to kind of re-sign up with the Lord. Uh, do this thing God's way. Let God allow his word to burn in your heart so that you don't have to be prodded or pushed but you'll be impelled uh, to serve the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for your, your word that is more up to date than tomorrow morning's news. We pray that you'll apply every part to our life this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And as you sing together, 
If you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, you feel free to do that as we sing together.